0: Hello, and welcome to True Horrors with Meg and Rachel. Every week we discuss a horror film and the true stories that inspired, influenced, or bear striking resemblance to them. Be warned for spoilers and adult themes. I'm Meg. And I'm Rachel. And this is True Horrors. Okay, we're ready. For you to hit record. He
1: he did. He's given us several thumbs up. What? I,
0: I no longer like the signal. I no you longer. You were looking at
1: dogs.
0: <laughs> he gave me a thumbs up when I was looking at dogs. It's just like, it's very hard for me. I'm like, I'm going to get this puppy and it has to be a certain weight to live in my apartment and i'm like what am i just gonna keep weighing it and be like oh god you're getting too big like i have to make sure it's just hard because with shelters you don't always know what a dog is Mm -hmm. but i feel like i feel like i'm better off with something that's smaller like already that they know is going to be smaller Mm -hmm. as opposed to taking a chance that the dog will be medium i
1: think medium dogs are less than 30 pounds you think what do you consider a medium dog like up to 30 pounds i think (laughs) like I think that would be a medium dog. Because I would think a large dog's closer
0: to 100. Are dogs that big?
1: Yes. Huxley is 65 pounds, if that helps. I Oh, sure I it, think
0: of Huxley as medium. Okay, oh, I no, think of she's, Huxley.
1: She's a large dog. Medium dogs are like beagles and basset hounds. Those are medium dogs. Who gets to decide? Is it based Uh, on weight or
0: height or how who died and made them in charge of dogs?
1: I don't know. The organization that came before them.
0: I think this should be like, I think this should be like a cold open. And right when (laughs) I say who died and made them, we just start our music and it's like, I, I agree we should do that Should start doing cold opens with these moments <laughs> it's season two we can get a little a little sassy this is already already a great podcast like this is already we're already firing on all cylinders we're talking about dogs um I want one it's hard because I have allergies in my apartment I need a small dog I can't have a dog over 40 pounds, as I was saying. So it's a continual search. But I've not given up hope. Huxley Someday. is really considered large. She's yeah. like four pounds. She's, she's so thin. Pounds.
1: Yeah, it's because she's so thin. But she is also really tall. She goes up to, like, my hips, which, like, I know I'm short, but still. She's a big no. dog. Okay. Um, I
0: always I was think of, like, Golden Retrievers as big.
1: They're about the same height as Huxley.
0: It's height. It's not weight.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. But yeah, golden retrievers are, are they are large dogs. Um, and then like your Mastiffs and your Great Danes are extra large dogs.
0: Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yes. I hope Matt's writing down all of these time signals being like, cut that, cut that. <laughs> what is wrong with them? Get rid of this. This is not a dog podcast. It is now. <laughs> Huxley just pops up on the screen. I will say one last dog thing. We've talked about Huxley, Rachel's dog. I often talk to Huxley through the computer and she's never acknowledged me once. No. Like she does not acknowledge me saying her name. She does not even like, she does not look my way. Like Rachel will be like, oh, I need to get some water. And I'll be like, Huxley, Huxley. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nope. So we did
1: Sinister. I had never seen this movie in my life had no idea what it was about. Um, I'm so happy. I feel like I've been really negative about movies this season. So I'm going to open by saying it's not that I didn't like this movie. It's just that I spent the whole time going, get there faster. You were already given all the pieces of the puzzle, and you just are refusing to put them together. It was very frustrating. And I know like it came out in 2012. And like movie making has evolved a lot since then. So that might be part of it. But like it was, it was very frustrating. I was like, I figured this out within five minutes. Why is it taking you so long?
0: You mean you figured out it was a demon or you figured out the kids were the ones who are doing the murdering?
1: I didn't know that it was a demon necessarily, but both basically. Cause I, I mean, when I saw it, which was
0: 2012, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a horror movie. You know, it's a demon. I wasn't like, the actual graphic like nature of the children being the one who was doing the murdering that I didn't really, I wasn't like jaw drop shocked or anything when I Mm -hmm. saw it, but I definitely was like, Oh, he's, I kind of thought that just like he was killing them with ghost power. Like I didn't really, I didn't really occur to me that the children were actually the ones creating and literally doing the murdering. I just thought he was taking the kids. Like,
1: yeah, I, the thing that did it for me was when we got the inside of the lid of the box and they were all drawn there and they all said mom, dad, and then people's names. I was like, oh, because the kids are doing it because who else would call them mom and dad? Oh,
0: I definitely thought those were drawn by the kids, but I guess I just thought they were observing it because I, I had always thought they were a part of it. But I, I also, I'm usually the person who's like, fuck this guy for not realizing it's ghosts. But I do think that we get a lot of knowledge as the audience that he doesn't get that like, I get why he thinks for a while it's a cult. Like I was also like, okay, it's a weird cult. (laughs) But like, if you're in a world without ghosts and not a lot spooky was happening in that house that he could Mm -hmm. see, we could see stuff, but stuff he actually saw, I do think the second he saw that video of tiny hands pushing him, that's when I was like, you need to, you need to get out. Like, but he couldn't because he was an arrogant narcissist who only cared about his book, which it's not that I think that's a good reason, but I do think that's a better motivation than they give a lot of characters mm-hmm. who won't see it. He had a real like selfish motivation for not leaving this house and not giving up on the mm-hmm. story, which I mean, to be fair to him, it wouldn't have mattered. He cursed his his family the second they entered that house. Yep. It wouldn't have mattered. The, so being like, you need to leave leaving so what kills them yeah like you need to just stay and live in this house with these dead kids
1: like um, that's forever. the only solution and deputy so-and-so really hits the nail on the head where he's like well obviously you don't believe in ghosts or so you never would have moved into the murder house
0: mm-hmm. i do like, love when he's like i wouldn't move here in a second you couldn't pay me to spend a night here
1: <laughs> he's the mvp of this movie he really is and he should get I- his own spinoff movie That's the
0: second one
1: (laughs) that's on Netflix. That's Sinister too. Okay. Well, good. They made the right choice.
0: Just a slight, not real spoiler, but a big part of Sinister too, is that he's burning the houses to the ground. He's going back. He's buying and burning the houses to the ground to stop the curse. He gets paid a lot
1: as a deputy in this small town.
0: Well, I don't think they're going for a lot
1: oh, I guess because
0: no one wants to live in houses. these murder houses. And so he's burning, or some of them are just empty and he's burning them. And so he's no longer a police officer because they can't prove it, but they think he's burning houses to the ground, <laughs> which is also really funny. I love that. But no, I really, there's there's definitely pros and cons. Like One thing is I do think, even if you do know that it's a ghost and that the kids are doing the murdering, I do think there's that element of tension Mm -hmm. i do think they play it out a little bit too far where it's like you're it it gets to be annoying yeah but i do think there's that element of tension whereas in the second one you're getting the other end of it where you're seeing the kids being seduced which some people like that some people don't i thought it was enjoyable right but again i think the second one's less scary in that sort of regard and is Mm -hmm. more just like oh this is interesting to the overall mythology right So going back through our beginning, it is funny, though. I feel like this season, we've been a lot harder on movies. And I really don't know why that is. Because the
1: first season, we specifically picked movies that we liked. This one, we picked classics. And some of them we hadn't seen. So we ended up watching them and being like, this movie fucking sucked. There's a reason we've never watched it.
0: I do really like Sinister, though. Yeah, Um, no,
1: this movie is not. This week, we This uh, one I
0: picked. This week, we picked movies. This... This week and last week we picked movies. Although we did make a lot of fun of Rosemary's Baby. But we it wasn't because we didn't like it. It's just yeah. because. Okay, so let's let's go back to the beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> I really like the opening. I've always really liked the opening where they're just like hanging that family. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm like, okay. And I like that they actually use Super 8. Like they filmed all of it on Super 8. They filmed all those scenes that way. And then they mm-hmm. use that. Like I like that effect.
1: I thought, when I was watching it, I was like, that's a very interesting opening. Is that relevant to the story we're about to learn, or is this just a random thing that happens? And it, luckily, it's relevant.
0: And then they show that tree, and you're like, ah, yes. I know that tree. Also, Tiny Poison Ivy from Gotham. Oh my that's, who God. that's who the murderer is. That's who his daughter is, is Tiny yes. Poison Ivy. Yes. Very specific casting for that child.
1: Yes. I don't know can you really call that typecasting because that's not really a type
0: (laughs) um i really enjoyed the yes the officer came there slightly to intimidate him the chief did but also i really liked him dragging him about the Mm -hmm. fact that he only has one hit book the other two he was wrong and people got hurt for it which i'm really glad because rachel knows that i have issues with some different, like, documentarians who do true crime and authors who do basically what he did, like, in the sense of, like, they're wrong, but their books tell such great stories or their documentaries do that it's, like, I think that they're, like, obviously, I'm true crime obsessed. I do this
1: podcast, but, like,
0: I think that there is a sense of responsibility you have if you're going to accuse people.
1: 100%. Like... Without getting too into the weeds on, like, the flaws in our criminal justice system, the underlying principle is still supposed to be that people are innocent until proven otherwise. You can't, you can't just go accusing people, especially when you have a big audience, because, like, I'm I'm going to name names here. The woman who did Serial did it. Mm-hmm. Um, she ruined that man's life. And, like, it's all... Not really based on anything because it was very clear as she was going through that doc that podcast that she didn't know anything about anything. Like she was using cell phone towers, and like a couple episodes later, she has to be like, "Oh, I did this whole thing about cell phone towers. Turns out none of that is real because it's not real." I'm like, and because you're an irresponsible journalist, mm-hmm. um, where. Meg and I are on the same page about this. We're we are
0: a hundred percent. The first time I listened to it, there's something in the first or second episode where she's talking it like not on the scene, but she's talking about some distance to be able to see the road, and she's mm-hmm. like, "There's absolutely no way, or like, and that you'd be able to see from there." And then she physically gets out there in the next scene, and it's like, "Huh, I guess you can. I guess I didn't really know how much distance that is." Yep. and I was like. I'm going to be angry this whole podcast for more than one reason, aren't I? Yeah. Like, so the documentary that I have some issues with, which Rachel already knows, this is the is Paradise Lost, which is about the West Memphis Three, and they're wrongly convicted of killing these three children, three or four children, and that's you know great. They come, they do this documentary, but they on Accuse someone in the second movie Mm -hmm. one of the kids stepfathers and they're wrong the documentarians do and they basically do exactly what the police did and that they portray in the first movie and they never come out and say anything about it Mm -hmm. like when the third documentary comes out one of the um men who went to jail He actually had written a letter basically being like, hey, the same thing that happened to us. And I'm like, how are you filming him talking about this letter and not coming on camera and saying we did that? Like that's he didn't do this. We Mm -hmm. did it. Like and so there is a lot like going back to Sinister, he's talking to this detective and he's like being really arrogant and Mm -hmm. being like, you know, police don't get it right all the time. And he's like, neither do you. Like, he does not have a good ratio either. He's only a third of the time right. His other two books, like, this is his last chance Mm -hmm. in a sense of, like, he's getting it wrong. He got it wrong in two big ways and someone, a murderer, got away. And he's obviously the worst. Like, this is just the, we've got these two episodes now that are just about really poor husbands. Like, just terrible husbands. because. He moves them into this house and then he like lies to his wife about it. And it's like, no, we didn't move down the street from a murder. I would kill him. There'd be another murder in that house. Mm -hmm. Extra famous
1: murder house.
0: To murder, to to move his family into this house is so irresponsible. And he's just, he's so arrogant. He's so self-centered. It's so clear that he's just chasing fame. He does not care about right or wrong. He does not mm-hmm. care about justice. He does not care about the victims. He just cares about being famous.
1: hmm
0: And he literally gets his family killed for it. And his yep. daughter like, gets her soul eaten by a demon because of his arrogance. Yep. And especially like, him being over the top, because if they had moved anywhere else and he'd still been just investigating that crime, this wouldn't have
1: happened.
0: Right it's specifically because he moved them into that house.
1: Yeah, and like there's no reason they had to move there. Like they specifically talk about what a strain it is on their their resources because they can't afford two mortgages because they couldn't sell their house because it's fucking gigantic.
0: Yeah, what the fuck is up with their house? Like when when they when they move back into it, I'm like no wonder those kids were pissed. <laughs>
1: yeah. Although I do love the house they move in move into because it's it's a mid-century house and that's my thing but mid-century
0: like, murder house
1: well yeah i wouldn't move into a murder house i wouldn't sleep one night in this house but like he could have just gone to the town gone to the house like gotten a hotel room to be there for a week like also the thing that really bugged me right off the bat is how dismissive he is of the police not because I'm big on like defending the police or anything, but because if you're gonna be a true crime writer, you need to have a good relationship with the detectives who are investigating the crimes that you are also investigating. They're not gonna tell you things if you're there to try to prove them wrong or say that they're incompetent, like, and then your story is going to suffer for it. Like, Also,
0: I would just say in a um, unsolved mystery sort of thing, The idea that this crime has not been solved because the police are stupid is not always correct. Right. Again, if you've watched like the unsolved mysteries on Netflix, there's a good amount of those where it's just like, oh, wow, everyone just tried and this case just didn't get solved. And sometimes it's just the way it is. And that's upsetting. Like, and so him going in with an adversarial idea, like. Like what, like the police are not interested or just weren't super motivated to solve the hanging of a family in their small town. And it makes me think that in those books that he fucked up on, that he probably was really condescending to the police. Mm -hmm. Because if all he had was one book where he pointed out a wrong had been done with Kentucky blood, you really wouldn't think that just any normal police, probably more of them would be like deputy Mm so-and-so. Because like, He did this investigating this on the ground, you know, but it's like, no, he's an arrogant prick who doesn't care about his family's feelings. Also, he's dumb as fuck because like, it's not even summer. And the reason I bring up it not being summer, his kids immediately go to school. Does he think that not a single person's going to be like, you live in the house? That's exactly what happened. Yes. And the fact that he didn't think that is so dumb Mm -hmm. and so annoying and makes me hate him so much so much. Um, He's so obsessed with being famous again that his family is forced to live and die by his choices. And every time his wife brings up a very reasonable concern, it's like, you don't support me. Yes. I hate him so much. I hate
1: him so much. The thing is, again, going back to him just being a bad true crime writer, the well done stories, you're not going in trying to solve. No. I mean, I mean, it would be nice if you solved a lot of times it's this is a story that needs to be told because the police are at a loss or they're still combing through things like they're still waiting for that big tip. So it's to get the story out because somebody out there might know something like that's literally the name of one of the podcast series is someone knows something
0: <laughs> or it's just crazy or it's yes. just like listen to this insanity mm-hmm. like that happened it might be solved even but listen to right. how crazy this was yes that is that's 100% true is that like you aren't supposed to be like that like you aren't supposed to be heading out to like but Clearly he did solve Kentucky blood, mm-hmm. which like, again, that's a one in a million kind of thing. Right. And then he just kept chasing it. Also, I, I know that you had never seen it before, so I'm not sure if you picked it up, but when they have breakfast the next day after the son has a night terror, she, the daughter goes, oh, I think I had one. And yes. then they're all like, oh no, like we would have known. I'm like, no, she was visited by demons yesterday. Like yeah. she did have a night terror. hmm you're all going to have a night terror.
1: At that point, I didn't, I don't know if I knew it was always the youngest kid.
0: It's not always the youngest kid, I don't think. I think okay. it's just, he always takes a kid. That's okay. why I think a lot, I think I, I definitely thought it was the older boy. It was, yeah, I thought same. it was going to be the boy and then it being mm-hmm. the girl. That did d- genuinely surprise me that it was the girl. I really yeah. thought it was the boy. Same. Um, also, best case scenario, best case scenario a serial killer murdered a family in your house and then returned to your house mm-hmm. to leave these videos. You were putting your family in danger. Yep. That is the best case scenario. And it's like, so he's been the killer's been there twice. Like you need to go. Yeah. Like for me, this movie doesn't even need to be about a demon. Right. Like if it was about a serial killer, even you're being so irresponsible with your family lives. He kills mm-hmm. families. Yes and kidnaps one of the kids
1: mm-hmm also oh i just remembered how i knew it was a demon is they were all so far apart that i was like ah oh, it has to be a demon also you picked it so i figured it had to be a ghost or a demon
0: 100 percent
1: ghost <laughs> or demon that, that was my tip It was <laughs> external factors not what was happening in the movie
0: also Where the fuck do they live that he's not weirded out about a scorpion and a snake in his attic?
1: I was trying to figure that out, too, because I didn't end up looking it up. I was like, I'm pretty sure scorpions only live in the desert. But you do not appear to live in a desert, which, I mean, I guess there are, like, cities. They're not in a city, though, because they're visited by the sheriff, and sheriffs do counties. So they live in a rural area, but there are big trees around, which, not that you can't bring trees in, to places where they're not originally from that's all la is it's plants that are not originally from there but they're not going to grow like you're not going to get a gigantic it, the tree wouldn't be that big either so like it has to be a tree that was there before like people started building their homes in the 1960s
0: also that was not like a garden snake So it's like, he just, there are so many signs and yes, we have the foresight to know that it didn't matter if the second he found those videos, he moved his family's house. Although that might not be true because I, I think it takes a while for the demon to like inception the kid. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least that's what we got from the second sinister is that it's, it's not something that happens. It's something that happens over a process. So... With that being said, then maybe it would have been if he'd moved that night, you know? Right. Also, the fact that he sees that picture of that, or that he he gets a shot of Bagul, and it's just like, who's this man? I'm like, that does not look like a man. Like, just with all the other factors. It's not it what has men
1: no mouth. Like. I was also really annoyed when he saw the video and, like, called the police and then was like, nah, I'm going to figure this out myself. I'm like, You could be arrested for that like
0: like he's such a tool and and they it's obviously heavy-handed but they have him look at all the copies of kentucky blood he just carries around with him and i'm like oh so this really is all about you Mm -hmm. because like again he's trying to solve this crime he's not trying to write a book on it he's trying to solve it to get his fame back Mm -hmm. and so the worse it gets he's so obsessed with that that like even when it gets really crazy to still be there like he literally spends the night on the couch holding a baseball bat and he still is letting his family live there mm-hmm. like I'm saying he deserved to get murdered at the end of this movie his wife and son did not and his daughter did not deserve to have to spend like eternity attached to this demon
1: yeah 100%. I wrote deputy
0: fan boy
1: <laughs> also a good name
0: like the tiny hands, and then it's just never brought up. Like you know what you saw; it was on tape. They pulled yeah. you down.
1: Uh huh. They pulled and pushed you down. It was a it was a group effort.
0: Oh, they're kids. They need to.
1: Well, that I'm get saying is, that there are Multiples. Oh yeah. Um, like there, there's more than one. I also was real annoyed when he watched that first video, and he goes like, "Why would you film it?" I'm like, "You call yourself a true crime writer?" The better question is, why would you film it and not keep it? And also, how did you get it back in this house? Like, those are the real questions you need to be asking.
0: Yeah, it's a trophy. It's Mm -hmm. a trophy. Like, again, this also could have worked as a cult. Again, a cult that kills people as some kind of initiation, which is why they're spread out. Right. And even if it's that, then, again, he's putting his family in real danger. Yes. Like the projector being all set up after it wasn't like, these are all things where yes. if you don't believe in ghosts, then you believe a human person came in and did that. Yes. And your children are here. Like
1: I hate him so much. Also, you know, I think that's worse. I would yes. rather have ghosts than a human person who can just get into my house. like
0: Who's just like, who's just like, Oh God, he really sped up my timeline. Gotta go hang out in this house now for a while. <laughs> um, the fight they have when she is like you moved us in here yeah
1: it's so it's so upsetting he's the worst he is the worst and he has no good points in that no and it is weird because like watching it
0: a second time knowing he's already damned his family it's really like it's all I think it adds like an element of sadness to it because it's mm-hmm. like you don't realize this but like the only thing that I can imagine that would save them is if they'd have stayed there until the kids were grown up because Ooh. he needs a child so right. if they were no longer children but yeah I mean the little girl is definitely being visited by demon children every night who are yes. forcing her to watch movies of murders yeah that's from the second one I said, for a man who slept on the couch with a baseball bat last night, he's really acting like she's unreasonable.
1: I know. I also was like, if your job makes you drink this much, you need a new job. Like, and that's coming from me.
0: I just want to say... When he's like, oh, yeah, they thought, you know, there aren't really any images because they thought he, like, lived in the images. The fact that that wasn't a moment where, like, the music came and he had, like, a realization of what was happening is so annoying. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, they live in it. Like, they live in the images. Like, he lives in it. You're an idiot. Also, it's interesting to see a horror movie where... It's hard to explain, but it's not from the perspective of the person who is really experiencing the haunting because you mm-hmm. don't realize it until the end. But the person who's truly being haunted and chased and attempted to be possessed is the little girl. Mm-hmm. And so all these things are happening on the um periphery. Yes.
1: And it was a really good charades, thing. yes, that was and good. he's
0: <laughs> and he's seeing it in that respect. And being like, what the fuck is going on? But it's that these children are after his daughter. Mm -hmm. And the demon is after his daughter. And so it's like, he doesn't really know fully what's going on. Yeah. I really like the, they use like the kind of like punky music. I really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. It's like the metal music. I enjoy that. She fucking hacks them up.
1: She does. Okay. Here's the thing. Another thing that really bothered me when It's like the inconsistencies, which I guess maybe it has to do with the age of the children, but like they, another one of the pieces that like, I was immediately like, it's because they're children. Is like, um, sometimes he drugs them so that he doesn't have to overpower them. I'm like, yeah, because it's a tiny child. Yeah. And then like, oh, they, he had the branch do the work. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a tiny child. But then like one of them, he pulls the family into a pool then there's the lawnmower, and then the little girl uses an ax. Those are all things that require a lot of upper body strength. It's very inconsistent is all I'm saying, which like the the kid who killed a, who the pool party kid seems to be a little bit older. So maybe he has the upper body strength. And I guess if they have a pool, maybe he swims a lot. No clue what's up with the lawnmower one because they barely talk about that one at all. That was another thing, like, it was the fifth drawing there that they never really showed And I kept being like, you need to look at that fifth drawing because it's you and your family. Like, I thought it was going to be, the drawing was already there and it was his family. But like, no, it's this murder that like exists. And there was also a fifth reel that I kept being like, do they have a fifth reel of you already? Like, um, but no, it was this murder that they don't bring up until like the very end. For no, I don't, that one was very weird. I thought the lawnmower one was very weird.
0: Well, I don't really know a lot about lawnmowers, but I was like, How um, strong are those blades to be able to go through a human body?
1: Yeah, that's a good point, too.
0: I don't know. I mean, but also with something like this, I have to think there's at least some kind of demon energy to it. Mm -hmm. Because she also was able to drag all three of her family members into a room. Yes. Like, before even hacking them up. Like, I have to think there's some kind of demon energy to it. Of her being able to, like take on Bagul's strength because the thing is is he needs the kids because he can't appear in the world without them and right. so like we don't really know how much of that is like him being able to to in, in embody them with some kind of his strength so like that part never really bothered me as much it kind of bothered me that like there were a lot of things that even with that that seem it seemed clear that like There was that that the person was smaller, you know, and that that wasn't something that that people weren't getting that. But I guess it's because in a real world, the idea that the missing nine year old girl is the one who drove over her family with a lawnmower is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, you know, that's not what bothered me. It was the part that they specifically point out like, oh, there are these like it's a plot point that oh, we use, they use ways that like don't require a whole lot of strength because again, it's a puzzle piece that to be like, uh, because they're children, but then there are some, they just don't talk about very much that don't fit that pattern. It's like either they kill in ways that don't require you to overpower them or they don't like just pick a lane is all I'm saying.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, now I feel like we're just getting into uh Rosemary demon baby territory where I'm like well like if you really think about it like it's like once he's once they've drugged them you have to wonder if there was some kind of pulley system involved because you know there was for getting them up on the tree right you know that they were they were using that aspect. But yeah, no, it's very odd. It's also like a really ineffective way for this demon to have to kill people is to use kids. And I don't particularly understand why because he just wants the kids, but maybe the kids committing murder is how he gets their soul. Like committing it, like maybe that's why. Like there's a lot, I always wanted a third movie that more went into his mythology. Yeah. But I will say that a lot of the kills in the second movie that we see they don't have that element that you're talking about. Like a lot of them are things, they're weird, but they're all things that don't require a lot of strength. So that is something that I think is interesting. I don't know Mm -hmm. if they thought about that, but I do know one of the kids, one of the boys was older. Like one of the boys looked around, like I think he was around like 12, which is what made me think the boy was going to be the one who was taking Mm -hmm. because I thought they were establishing that he doesn't just take little kids. Right. Because they were going to take the boy. But yeah, that's sinister. I mean, we'd survive because we're not going to have kids. So no kids could murder us.
1: Yes. And also we're not going to move into murder houses.
0: No. Or be married to people like his character.
1: No. Absolutely.
0: I almost called him Guy, like from Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. I, I don't remember what his name is. I just kept calling him Ethan.
1: I, yeah, I just kept calling him Ethan Hawk. I just was like,
0: Ethan, <laughs> stop it. Okay. So Rachel knows that, like, I really like this movie. I really wanted us to do Sinister. I really wanted Rachel to watch Sinister. But Sinister's not based on anything. It's based on a dream the director had (laughs) of of finding a reel that was, like, showing a family being murdered. And then he made it into a movie. So I was very much like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I was like, are there movies? Are there you know stories about people who moved into houses and they found stuff are there stories about like murders that kids you know kids murdering their families all of that and then I sort of I'd always from the beginning in the back of my mind thought you know what I should do but I was like I don't know if it really matches and then I watched I was like oh it 100% does so instead what I'm going to talk about is the father of the true crime novel, the father of the nonfiction novel, who also was completely obsessed with his subject matter and lost his damn mind, Mr. Truman Capote and the Clutter family murders.
1: (laughs) I'm excited.
0: So in honor of Ethan, who we can't remember his real name, we're going to talk about this. So the Clutter family, they were murdered in 1959 it, on the morning, the night of the 14th slash morning of the 15th of November. What? I just,
1: just because you're right doesn't make you interesting. Yes. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I don't know when it was exactly what time, but.
1: um. Also, I want to point out that this is two episodes in a row that I've referenced a John Mulaney joke.
0: Yes. <laughs> so. Richard Hickok and Perry Smith broke into the Clutter family home looking for money. Richard had a cellmate. They were both ex-cons, had a cellmate who used to be a farmhand for the Clutters and said that he kept $10,000 in cash in a safe, which is the equivalent of $91,000. So Smith ended up telling Capote that they thought it was going to be a cinch, like the perfect score. Well, They don't really know why the farmhand thought this because Mr. Clutter famously only paid in checks. He never had cash. He paid for everything in checks. So there was no cash in the house. There was nothing in the house except for him, his wife, one of his daughters and his son. And so when they get there and there's nothing, they break, they don't even, and they break in, but the doors are unlocked because that's the kind of town this was. This was Oh, I don't think I said what it was, but it was Holcomb, uh, Kansas. So it was like a, a nice small area and they come in and they tie everyone up and there's nothing. The people who were in the house were Herb. He was 48. Bonnie, his wife, 45. Uh, Nancy, who was 16. And I don't really know how you'd pronounce this name. His name was Ken. He was 15, but it was like Ken Joan was the, um, like, K-E-N-J-O-N. That's weird. I know. But anyway, Smith was 31 and Richard was 28. And when they realized there was no money, I mean, they already knew they had to kill everyone because they couldn't have witnesses, which I think mm-hmm. is an insane thing to think because it's the 50s. What? Just, just go to a different state. No one <laughs> knows who you are. Yep. But here is a quote that Perry would eventually say to Capote. Um, I didn't want to harm the man. He's talking about Herb. I thought he was a very nice gentleman, soft-spoken. I thought so right up into the moment I slit his throat. Wow. Um, Okay. So they shot all three of the other family members in the head, and we'll get to who did what. And uh, Herb had his um, throat slit and then was shot in the head. And here's what they got from that. A radio, a pair of binoculars, and less than $50, which in today's money would be less than $450. That's,
1: that's worth killing an entire family, right?
0: So let's talk about 34-year-old Truman Capote. <laughs> so Truman Capote was and is a larger-than-life figure. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an out gay man and out in this time period. And by 34, he was already incredibly famous. He had written Breakfast at Tiffany's and there's another book I forgot to write down that I'd never heard of that he was also really famous for. So he was incredibly famous. Mm -hmm. And he had started talking recently about the idea of something he called nonfiction. And there's some arguments, people say that there are other books that could be classified as nonfiction, but he was really the first one that was talking about it. And people thought, this was just a cure for writer's block. Like they were like, this is stupid. And he was like, no, nonfiction can be just as interesting as fiction. And that journalism could be made into like books Mm -hmm. and a lot of writers at the time really looked down on journalism and so they thought he was kind of like eccentric but they always thought he was eccentric he was and we'll get to some of his characteristics later on but he read a new york times article which i actually got a lot of my stuff from the new york times and from a variety article we'll have all the um all the sources. But I was like, ah, yes, the times. And he read about this murder and they hadn't caught the murderers. And so he was like, Hey, my good old friend, Harper Lee, do you want to come like, hang out with me while I go do this? Because they were friends from childhood, which I know everyone knows, but I still think is the craziest thing in the world. They put each other in their books. He is Dill. And in whatever book is not breakfast at Tiffany's, she is in. like, they were friends, which we'll also talk about that. So <laughs> Harper Lee had literally just sent To Kill a Mockingbird to her publishers. So she was just about to blow up. And he was like, hey, I want to go do this thing. And she was, he was like, you can come and like help me because her father had been a lawyer. And so she was like, okay, sounds good. So through charm and bribery, but mostly charm, He was able to get in good with the police like he would Mm -hmm. tell stories of all the famous people he knew and he was an incredibly charming man and so he was on the inside and he was there when um they were caught and arrested in vegas it was six weeks after and his idea was he wanted to interview everyone involved the cops the victim's family And the town. And he wanted to talk about how something like this affects the town. But Mm -hmm. he also wanted to talk to the murderers. So they confessed right away and were sentenced to hang. But Capote, and this is where we start getting into the let's talk about Truman Capote. He needed more time to talk to them to gain their trust. So he started providing them with legal assistance to extend the procedure so it would be longer before they were hung so he could get to know them and get their story. Because The thing he wanted to know was what happened that night because basically Smith said that he didn't kill the women, that it was, but, um, Hickok or Richard, he was like, from the beginning was like, he killed all of them. Like Smith did all the murdering and Smith was like, no, no, no. I just killed the guys. I, I did not kill those women. And when they were like, okay, sign your confession, he wouldn't sign it. And he also had this whole thing where he was like, oh, I stopped Richard from raping the daughter. But there was really no evidence mm-hmm. and, of like that. And I kind of think that feeds into this narrative he was trying to create of like, he's not that bad of a guy. Like he didn't kill the women. And like he, like this narrative, like not that Richard was in any way innocent
1: and he still hung for it. Mm-hmm. But like, we'll get to that. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I don't know how that makes you better. Like I didn't kill the women. Like, yeah, but you still killed people and you were there when the women were killed like again if that is true like that doesn't make you better
0: also you killed a 15 year old boy
1: yeah you tied
0: up and murdered a 15 year old boy
1: mm-hmm. like
0: so capote interviewed them both but he formed a bond with smith Gross. now what the connect what that bond entailed has been A lot of people have speculated about it. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of the speculation comes from the fact that Capote was homosexual. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that a lot of docu, docu biographers and stuff, write Is that they had very similar upbringings. Okay. And so there was this idea that they both saw in each other who they could have been. And so they formed this really strong connection. Smith was also very intelligent and into literature and music and like that kind of stuff. I mean, he was very insecure about not being as educated formally, like he'd wanted to go to school, but his father wouldn't let him. Mm -hmm. And so he was pretty insecure about that, but he loved that kind of stuff. And so they really bonded. So let's talk a little bit about Capote. I've talked about some of his positives but there were a lot of negatives. Like he was pretty narcissistic and self-centered. He was very attention seeking and what ended up ruining, like I've got a few quotes from Harper Lee that I really love when talking. Cause he ended up writing this book for like five years because he got to a point where he realized he couldn't publish it until they died. That like, he felt like that was the ending of the book was, and then they were hung So he couldn't. Well, then it was like, what ended up kind of driving him insane was that he'd become really close to them and had kind of used them to get the story out. Mm -hmm. And so he felt guilty about that. But then he also wanted them to get hung so he could publish his book because he felt like that's what needed to be the ending. But then also it was like he sort of started liking Smith. So it was a lot there. There was a lot happening for him. Um, And meanwhile,
1: I just want to say- Oh, there is a lot happening for him, and I don't care about any of it.
0: No, he really did a lot of this to himself, yeah. which is why he's a lot like Ethan. But
1: meanwhile, Harper Lee published To
0: Kill a Mockingbird Bird, won the Pulitzer. It became an Academy Award-winning movie, like which it still didn't matter because she was a woman. So she mm-hmm. was still very much seconded to Capote. Like, even though Capote hadn't published anything for a while, he was just working on this. I mean, he did publish bits of what would become this book in the paper, Mm -hmm. but he stole the spotlight intentionally or through like, like there's one story where like on the premiere night of To Kill a Mockingbird, the movie, he had like a real meltdown, like about the idea that like he was being tormented by, you know, Hickok and Smith and them still being alive and that like, it's like keeping him from finishing his book and all this stuff on her night. Like, so-
1: If I roll my eyes any harder, they're gonna fall out of, my, out of their sockets.
0: So this is, these are a few quotes from Harper Lee. She said, I was his oldest friend and I did something Truman c- c- could not forgive. I wrote a novel and it sold. He nursed uh, his envy for more than 20 years. Which I just have to wonder how that would feel like I'm sure he was really supportive of her until to kill a mockingbird was to kill a mockingbird and like that's really it was also uh, she famously did not want the spotlight and pulled away from it and wouldn't do interviews Mm -hmm. and that also pissed him off more that like she didn't want that and he did and like. She ended up saying that, like, the other thing was he was a liar. And so, like, she's like, this is how a conversation with him would go. Someone would ask him, did you know JFK was shot? And he'd say, yes, I was driving the car he was in.
1: Jesus Christ. That,
0: that's the kind of man. That's not a direct story of something he said. No, but I know. That's the kind, but... kind of, that's the kind of liar he was. And yeah. this is his oldest friend being like, walk a mile in your shoes. Also, Capote's a liar. Like, <laughs> um, So he ends up getting the story from Smith and Smith admits that he killed everyone, like, which a lot of people say that that was sort of like a breaking point as well, because he was able to tell himself that Smith wasn't that bad. And then also um, Smith kind of lost it when he found out he was naming the book in cold blood because he was like, you're not really my friend. Like you you've been pretending you understand me and that you like understand where I come from, but really you've just been using me. And it's like, yeah, bro, he has. They I don't feel sorry for other. you either. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for you either. So he did not want to go to their hanging and they like basically begged him to go. And so he went and saw them both hung and people are like that also kind of threw him over the edge. Um, so he, the book got published after they were executed And Capote ended up getting really heavy into drinking and drugs. Um, And it was well known. There's an interview where he was on the interview and he was pretty wasted. And people a lot have criticized. And um, the people who were on the show, I'd never heard of the show, but they were like, he was not high when he got here. Like he did that at some point in the studio. But the person asked him, it was 1978, what's going to happen to you if you don't get sober? And his response was, the obvious answer is that eventually I'll kill myself. And he just said that on air. So he ended up, like, getting sued by people because he started kind of, like, just, like, spilling tea all over the place. Like, just, like, writing stories. True, maybe. Like, someone once said that he, this is an actual thing someone said he once said that they were, like, he was saying something, like, a rumor. And they were, like, that's not true. And he's, like, it will
1: be. Was basically the idea. Like, he was a lot. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, here's the thing is I don't know anything about this man. Like, if you would ask me who he was, I've been like, I don't know. He was famous at some point in the 20th century. Um, And I'm learning all of this for the first time.
0: He also, I, I, I forgot to write down the name, but he had a partner for like 30 years who during this period, like, he destroyed that relationship too. Which like, it's also pretty spectacular of the fact that he was, he was out. He had a partner like, yeah. um, and just ruined that relationship with his partner. He died at 59 of liver disease, but In Cold Blood is still the second highest selling true crime novel. Can you guess the first?
1: Is it, um, the one about Ted Bundy?
0: No, it's Helter Skelter. Oh. About, it's Helter yeah. Skelter.
1: That was my which first true I knew. crime book. I knew you that's
0: yeah, I was like, I was like, Rachel's not doesn't love guessing games, but if there was ever one where I was like, eh, it's helter skelter because those those are like the only that one and stranger beside me, those are like the that, three yes. that come to people. I minds. was
1: that's the one I was thinking of. Um, yes. and that's the title I wanted to say, but I second guessed it.
0: So I pick this one obviously because it goes with um, that, but also it goes with the fact that like an author who becomes so obsessed. That they literally drive themselves but also because in cold blood is considered to be the first true crime novel and whatever else capote did what the fact that there's a foundation of some behaving irresponsibly as a writer and a journalist involved in this mm-hmm. he still revolutionized like writing and created a genre that right. is really popular today and he saw something that no one else did which was that People wanted to know about this, and there Mm -hmm. was space for this. And also in Cold Blood, although people say there are parts that he changed and embellished, because of course there are, that he did give a voice to the town and to the idea of what the town did, that like that was true. And so there's something to be said about that as well. The fact that he also had the foresight to be like, I wanna talk to people who were affected by this. Like it's a community crime, Mm -hmm. what has happened. And it's it is it's very sad. And I also think it's especially sad because this horrified people and shocked people. Right. And it's weird to think about that nowadays, like that this crime it's horrible. But the idea that it was so shocking to people that somebody came into their house and just like murdered them. Mm-hmm. I'm also, like that there's something to that. Um, I also want to talk about the fact that Philip Seymour Hoffman won um, an Oscar for playing him in Capote. There's a lot, which Capote does directly talk about this and the fact, and um, it's about him kind of losing everything, you know? Um, Yeah, of course
1: it is. If you won an Oscar for it, that's clearly what it was going to be about. It's not going to be about his early life.
0: And a lot of people say that, like which I said, is that he wanted so badly for years to know the story of what happened that night. But when he got it, he couldn't live with it. Like he couldn't live with the truth of what really happened. And
1: that I'm sorry, it's just so many stories go that way. And we're just like, OK, we get it. Like,
0: um, his was the original. He got the truth yes. and couldn't couldn't live with it. I will say, I think that, um. Sinister is worse because at least the writer here mostly only took himself down. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like he really hurt other people in his life by being neglectful and self-centered, but none of them got murdered for it. And yeah. none of them got taken. Harper Lee didn't get taken away by a demon or anything. <laughs> um, but it is sort of a, a cautionary tale of getting too far in the weeds on this. Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff like it's a very serious subject matter, right? Sinister's worse,
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: It's definitely worse. Um, I don't want tiny baby poison ivy to kill me.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Although, or by not. the way, if people don't know why we're saying that in the the television show Gotham, she played a child poison ivy. Yes, that's yes. why we're saying that. Um, all right, and Rachel, what are we doing next week?
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: The original Texas Chainsaw yes, Massacre. Always,
1: almost always the original. Almost um, always the original. Which I've never seen. Maybe Me I'll hate either. It. My Me mother hated it. Um, just fun fact. It's one of the I think it might be the only movie she's ever walked out of.
0: I know. I I was the one, I'm just gonna tell you guys this. I was the one who said to Rachel, we should really pick more well-known movies for season two. Because <laughs> I just felt like there were a lot of movies we picked people hadn't seen and now that we're nearing the end of season 2 i'm like i think we're just going to do what we want in season yeah. 3 again although it is funny to talk about these movies we hated like it is fun <laughs> to drag movies um i Definitely i also mine. watching them is is a is a real a real time mm-hmm. um and i'm remembering this time yes. please like us and follow us on social media And you can talk to us if we post stuff, you know, talk back, tell us what you thought of the episode and uh, share it and make sure that you um, review and subscribe on whatever podcast, download on whatever podcast platform you're listening.
1: You don't even have to listen to it. You just have to download it. Please listen to it. Goodbye. We got to end this journey now. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.